ACCPs, what are we, what do we do, and how do we prove our worth? We've done some audits to find out. Let's go see. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Critical Care Practitioner podcast. It's nice to be able to talk to you once again. This particular episode is an effort by Gavin Denton and I to have a conversation about three audits that he carried out recently, and they are ongoing audits, and they are about the work that the ACCPs do in relation to central line insertion, intubation, and transfer of the patient in the back of an ambulance. I think they provide some interesting numbers. Unfortunately, Gavin and I did try and get together at least three times to do this and through various technical difficulties it just wasn't happening so ultimately what I asked Gav to do was to record it at his end by himself and send me the file over so this is him talking you through the audits Um, they're interesting audits I think they uh, have a lot of value they prove an awful lot of things that I'm hoping we as ACCPs already know Um, but I think he's also hoping to present these at the National Association of Advanced Critical Care Practitioner meeting in June of this year. So go ahead and listen and uh, let me know what you think. I presented uh, three of these audits at the ICS conference in Liverpool um, and those were on central venous catheter insertion, advanced airway management and transfer of ventilated patients by our ACCP team over the last um, six months or so. At the end of 2016 we developed an anonymized electronic form um, that could be completed after insertion of a CVC or a transfer of a ventilated patient and patients that have had advanced airway mud. For each of the audits, we managed to capture around six months' worth of data. Um, we don't have any kind of electronic record system that we can capture our procedures on so I can only estimate the you know, number of um, procedures that we managed to record but I guesstimate we've probably managed to capture about 90% of events. So in the central line audit we managed to catch 222 attempted um, central venous catheter insertions. Um, the majority of those were carried out by the ACCPs um, that re- was in the region of about 62%. Uh, the second largest group that were inserting the lines were junior doctors. When I say that, I'm talking about F1s and below ST3. Um, the third largest group were the registrars. So the junior doctors below ST3 inserted about 20% of the lines and the registrars were inserted around 16% of the lines. Only a handful of the lines were inserted by the intensive care consultants. In addition to that, around 75% of the lines that were inserted by doctors between F1 and ST3 were supervised by the ACCPs. So the vast majority of the supervised insertion of lines on our unit were supervised by the ACCP team. The first pass success for insertion of the central lines for the service overall was in the region of 84%. The overall complication rate for central line insertion was 77% for the whole service. The ACCPs had a complication for their lines of 6.4%. However, we're also inserting pit catheters. Unfortunately, we don't have any specific equipment for identifying the position of pit catheters, 
Um, so they're largely inserted blindly and then checked on x-ray. If we actually take those out of our data um, and just look at the central venous catheter rate com complications for ACCPs, the complication rate was actually 4.5%. 40 percent of the complications um, that were immediate were caused by malposition of the catheter tip, which were almost exclusively from pick line insertions, i.e. the catheter tip would gone up the jugular rather than into the superior vena cava. The overall complication rate, if you exclude pick lines for the whole service, was 4.5%. After malposition, and the most common complication from a CVC insertion was arterial puncture, um, and that only happened in 2% of cases. As an intensive care service overall, our complication rates are comparable with national studies. Um, if you consider the ICNAP audit, which was done about 18 months ago now, um, published in the summer, uh, the complication rate in that study nationally was in the region of 7%. So the service overall was certainly matching that. If you look at the complication rates for the ACCPs in general, and excluding the PIC lines, were well below the national average complication rate for central line insertion. I have had colleagues um, feedback on Twitter and some questions when I was at the ICS conference um, with concerns about whether ACCPs are potentially removing training opportunities for junior doctors. And my response to that would be the number of insurgents by junior doctors and by that I mean F1 up and below ST3 have actually increased about 35% since ACCPs have been introduced into our service. Um, I think a lot of that comes down to, particularly when we're out of hours, registrars are often inserting lines and when a junior doctor requires supervision and the service is particularly busy, I think the registrars often end up inserting them, those lines themselves as quickly as possible and then leaving the unit and going back to ED where they tend to live out of hours. So I suspect that the number of insertions by junior doctors from F1 up to ST3 have increased because there's greater chances of um, them being supervised out of hours um, for invasive procedures. Our services have moved on from the see one, do one, teach one philosophy to um, invasive procedures and I think there's far greater opportunity for junior doctors to have supervision for a far greater number of lines than they would have previously had available to them before and I think their the quality of their supervision um, has probably been increased by the presence of ACCPs in our service. So the next part of our audit was the transfer of ventilated patients within our critical care service. Just as a refresher to how our hospital set up, we're made up of three hospitals um, that run down the east side of Birmingham. The ACCPs are primarily based at the Heartland site, which is the largest centre, and in the middle. Our centre to the south of us, which is Solihull Hospital, is a very small hospital. Um, doesn't have an intensive care provision, but has a service for um, level 2 patients and stabilisation of level 3, with a process to transfer the patient out to the relevant bed. The third hospital is Good Hope Hospital, which is to the north of Heartland. Um, that does have a full intensive care service, but it doesn't have an ACCP presence. 
although occasionally recover shifts there or assist them with transfer of ventilated patients, particularly out of hours. A bulk of the external transfer of ventilated patients within the trust is from the small Solihull site to either Heartland, Good Hope or a tertiary centre if that be necessary. And that is primarily done by the ACCPs. We have nine ACCPs in our ACCP service and we're all registered with FICUM as associate members after the completion of our transfer of the critically ill module and sign off internally on competency to transfer ventilated patients. The ACCPs transfer ventilated patients without direct medical supervision. In the six-month audit period, we managed to capture 195 transfers of critically ill patients. Of those, 167 were ventilated patients form about 85% of the patients that were in the audit. 29% of those patients were external transfers, so the bulk, 70%, were internal transfers within the same hospital. 2% of the patients that were captured in the study that were invasively ventilated were transferred independent medical supervision by ACCP. All of the ventilated external transfers, when I say that, I mean that the patient actually went in the back of an ambulance, were carried out by ACCPs in this study, um, so that was 50 in total. Imaging was the primary reason for 79% of the internal transfers that were captured. Of the external transfers, 64% of those cases were transferred because there was no bed in the primary hospital. So nearly all of those would have been at our Solihull site where we don't have um, an intensive care bed provision and the service deliveries for stabilisation and transfer. Given the number of patients that we externally transferred, only one of them was actually transferred out of the trust for lack of an intensive care bed. 24% of the external transfers were for tertiary care, um, which in our service is largely for emergency neurosurgery. 92% of the transfers of ventilated patients had no adverse events recorded. Hypertension was the most commonly recorded adverse event, which occurred at a rate of 3.8%. We had no ex um, accidental extubations or rare events in any of our transfers. In terms of acuity, 52% of the patients required homotropic support. In terms of the severity of the respiratory failure, 44% required more than 50% oxygen for the transfer. 14% required more than 10 of PEEP. There were four cases where patients were transferred on airway pressure release ventilation. And we had four patients that were transferred on intraaortic balloon pumps. Only 26% of the transfers of ventilated patients were in single organ failure at the time. In adult critical care, it's really difficult to find any papers that are pertaining to event-rated adverse events in transfers of ventilated patients. So it's very difficult to work out um, how we benchmark ourselves. Some of the French studies I've looked at have an adverse event rate of around 20%. And finally, we audited airway management within our critical care service. So we looked at all patients that were intubated outside of theatre on our heart and site. So that included intensive care, HDU, our wards, during arrests on the wards and the needy service. The data that I presented at the ICS was all based around rapid sickness induction rather than intubation during a cardiac arrest. Now all these intubations where ACCPs were the intubator were carried out under direct supervision 
of at least an anaesthetic registrar or consultant, as per our FICOM guidelines. The majority of the time, if an ACTP was intubating, the induction was given by the supervising anaesthetist. So we captured 241 intubations in this period. Most of those were rapid sequence inductions, 85%. The remainder were um, intra-arrest intubations that made up about 15% of the audit data. The rest of the data that I've presented was all referring specifically to RSI. RSI intubations were carried out by an ECCP in 64% of cases. The overall first-pass success for the ACCPs in RSI was the 88%, but there was a big difference between the trainee group and the qualified group, as you would imagine. The eight qualified ACCPs had a first-pass success rate of 92%, and the trainees was 76%. 5% of cases, a second intubator was required. The majority of the time, that was an anaesthetist. The overall first-pass success for the unit as a whole was 90%. What should the benchmark for first pass success be in the intubation of critical care patients? An Australian group did a meta-analysis on intubation in ED departments across the world at the beginning of last year, I think that was published, and they found that the benchmark of 84% for first pass success should be the minimum standard. Managed to find two UK-based studies looking at first-pass success in critical care patients, and the first-pass success ranges for those were 90% and 88%, um, and that was by anaesthetists. Within the ACCP data set, um, the complication rate was in the region of 20%. Um, we had a hypoxia rate of 8.7%, hypertension rate of 8%, and those were the most common complications. The rate of recognised esophageal intubation was 2.9%, and there were no unrecognised esophageal intubations. Within the whole data set, there were two cardiac arrests, so that was an event rate of 1.4% which also reflects on the data that I've seen previously in other studies. Funnily enough, when I was presenting this data at the ICS, the gentleman before me was also presenting a critical care intubation audit data with almost identical results. Going back to some of the concerns raised by others around the potential loss of training opportunities for the junior doctors. And our unit came first in the West Midlands in the GMC feedback for trainees and we actually came ninth for the for intensive care units nationally. So I feel the ACCP contribution to the training of junior doctors is a positive one and we can actually enhance and support their experience when people rotate onto our prior to the establishment of the ACCP team into our service. Our GMC review feedback from trainees was actually extremely poor and had been for me. So that's a summary of the audit data that we collected for the first six months. I've now got about three times that volume of data now. And I hope over the next two years, we can really delve into our practices and develop some quality improvement within our service. I also hope that this work could also serve as a template for the development of CCP services within other teams across the country and as a general benchmark of quality of practice in intensive care overall. I'd just like to emphasise that all our practice in our service is supervised directly or indirectly by our consultant body and under the guidance of the current FICOM recommendations for ACCP practice. 
Okay, so lots of interesting information there, and I think a lot of value proving some of the things that we as ACCPs can certainly be a very effective part of. I know that at Heartlands Hospital, they're involved in a lot more transfers than your average hospital. Um, I was there uh, just over two years ago now, and certainly transferring patients both within and without the hospital was a regular feature of my working week. Certainly also my current experience of um, insertions of lines um, is very typical to Gavin's experiences over at Heartlands, um, as is the intubation procedures. So I think food for thought um, and like I say, it's ongoing audits and hopefully we can make these a national audit at some point as well so that we can get the views of all the ACCPs around the country um, to add to the value of the audit itself. So that's it. It's just a short one today. What else is going on in my world? Well, I am currently working on producing some YouTube videos. For those of you who don't know, I have a website, criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk. And on that website, I've got quite a few resources re relating to mechanical ventilation, which seem to be quite popular as far as page hits are each day. So I've started now producing some videos to go alongside those posts. So you can find them on YouTube or you can find them on the website themselves. Um, I'm hoping they'll be uh, continue to be of more use for those who are accessing the website. So that's me done for now. I hope you are all well and we'll speak again soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Critical Care Practitioner. If you would like to comment on any of today's topics, find us at criticalcarepractitioner.co.uk, tweet us at ccpractitioner, Find us at facebook.com slash criticalcarepractitioner or search Critical Care Practitioner on iTunes. <laughs>